conversations. So on this episode, we are going to talk about the importance of fathers. And I just, before we start, I want to give us, give you guys a few statistics. Um, So statistically, fatherless children are at such a disadvantage. They're 5% more likely to live in poverty and crime, nine times more likely to drop out of school, and 20 times more likely to go to prison. One of the key and essential components in our community's foundation are fathers. And so this episode is very necessary and very purposeful. So our guest for today's episode is leading the charge in his community to forge paternal bonds with his Kingdom Son workshop. He is the soulful poet and the author of a book with no author, A Son with No Father. Ladies, let's welcome Mario Reyes, better known as Papi Picasso. Hey, Mario. Hi. Welcome, welcome. Peace to the crew. What's up? So before we get started, just to make sure that everybody has a better understanding and gets to know you (laughs) as an individual, can you tell us a little bit more about yourself and how you even got started with the Kingdom Sun and also putting the pen to pad for your book? Uh, Well, the Journey of the book started years ago. I used to live in uh, Baltimore uh, several years ago. And I remember I was at the barbershop and I watched my barber as me and my son were waiting to get his hair cut, give fatherly advice to at least four children before it was my turn. You know how Fridays at the barber were like, it's it's an experience. We were waiting and I just came up like as a poet and as some a lyricist, I'm always, I think in kind of like rhyme form. So I came up with the line, a son with no father is a book with no author, a main character that's been developed by his peers and his barber. And when we sat down, we talked about that. And I told him the line and he was like, I want to hear a whole poem. Let me hear the whole joint. So I went and scribed it. And then um, for years I've been being pushed to write a book, and I never did, because I I don't even like poetry books. I think they're boring. Uh, I wanted it. I wanted my book to be more of a resource, something that could actually uh, benefit people, instead of it just being me parsing my emotions. And I decided labors of love yield the best results. So I doubled down on what I enjoy doing as far as fatherhood is concerned and poetry, and decided to uh, marry the two and. Uh, if you ever read a 48 Laws of Power, um, each chapter is broken into three pieces. So my book follows that same format. I share the subject that imposed itself onto me and my son's life, whether it be race, sexuality, love, school, bullying. I share the dialogue between he and I. I follow it with the lesson I was hoping to impart, and then I end it with the poem. So no matter what your little vibe is, there's a little bit of everything in there. If you enjoy stories, there's a now enjoy logic, there's the lesson. If you enjoy art, there's the poetry. Yeah, 
And I want to correct myself because I did say the wrong title. It is The Son with No Father is a book with no author. And I actually... Save yourself for this uh, meeting. Shut up. (laughs) But I did like how you put the book together because I liked how it started off with like the stories between either you or your son or even hearing the stories with you and your father and then how it follows up with a lesson and a poem. So super dope concept. I really liked it. Thank you, Kyle. So while we're talking about your book, one thing that you say in there, you talk um, about accountability. And so I want to quote you. You say, a person cannot be your friend if they aren't a parent to their children. Do you think that if this friendship requirement was um, adopted across men across the board, that men would kind, would kind of man up and be a little bit more responsible and active? Uh, certainly. Um... I've applied that to my life in real time. Um, I've had a friend call me and ask me if he should pick his child up from child services because the mother got arrested. And I and I even had to look at the phone like, dude, if you don't go pick up your daughter, don't call me ever again. Like, that's a no-brainer. Because if you're not going to go all out for your blood, I'm just your man. I know you're not going to go all out for me. And I don't need people in my cipher that aren't uh willing to uh be present you know i think i'm a good friend and people can rely on me the same way i feel like i'm a good father so if you aren't demonstrating those same virtues then we can't be cool and i honestly believe that in that moment that was a moment of clarity for him you know still sharp and still so him and i being friends since we was like eight years old knowing that i could walk away from it so candidly based on his uh his fathering and his how he decides to parent let him know that you know i can't call you my man if you aren't behaving as one mm. i that think is, that goes for all men so dope. that is so dope and i love that you hold your friends accountable in that way because i feel like so many people don't and it's interesting i think we we got to unpack that and like tear down some layers because it's interesting one that he would call to ask you that question and be comfortable enough to be like, yo, like, you know, my baby mother just got arrested. Like, should I go pick my daughter up from, like... It's, that's crazy. That's as crazy there's a choice. Right. Yeah. So I'm curious, like, first, as I said before, I love that you held him accountable um, and challenged him in that way. But did he share why that was even like a decision that he felt he needed to make and then oh, yeah, the tea come to you for guidance? <laughs> now, the tea is hot with this one, and I don't want to like unpack too much of his personal story. <laughs> yeah. But um, I'll leave it to say that uh, the child was born under unfavorable circumstances. So he ne- didn't necessarily, he has another daughter in which he has a great relationship with. This was the one that he doesn't have a, a great relationship with. Got it. And, and um, you know, I don't, I'm glad, I'm grateful that my friends, I don't, I think it's because I joined the military, that they think that I got it figured out when uh, I just like being present. <clears throat> yeah. But I, yeah, I, I wonder if there should be more of that. Because I know, and I don't know if it's this way for men, but women will shame one, you know, shame another woman if they feel like they're doing the wrong thing as a mother. 
And I don't know, is that even common with men? I know that you did this in this, not shamed him, but you held him accountable in this particular incident. But is there a type of shaming that men have when they're not taking care of their kids? It's really a, uh, it's a fine line to walk. As women, y'all know, men in their fragile prides, uh, the minute you really hit them low or, or, or stick them where it hurts, you know, you got to be prepared for those consequences. And I've learned that being effective isn't always the same as being right. So, like, if you're in a barbershop and the dude's a deadbeat dad and he, like, is, he comes in super decked out, the barbershop will clown him. Like, it'll be a, a village, you know, heating it on him. However, on the one-on-one, I always, like, that dude, I always grab to the side and I'll just talk to him to find out what's that, um, What's the, what, what is preventing him? What's that obstacle that he feels that like he can't be present? Mm-hmm. And I'll try to attack that. Um, and I was like, we, going back to how I came up with the idea for the book, just going through my divorce uh, like a decade and change ago, and I was judged by friends and family, like, oh, are you going to still be present for your kids? And just the, uh, the whole uh, perception of the way men operate felt very low. And I don't, I'm not a person that eats low-hanging fruit. So that being said, I, sh- I overshared like my single dad journey with my kids. And in doing that, I realized that I was getting like a lot of DMs, not from women, but from dudes thanking me because now they were able to see that parenthood could be fun, what their experience is like. And they will break down some of their obstacles in building with their kids due to their mother, the child's mother, and things of that nature. So I started educating them on their parental rights and things of that nature. And I realized that a lot of times it's not that the dude doesn't want to be there. It's that he he's trying to keep it keep his life peaceful and whatever um complexities that the child and the mother would bring in would destroy that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if that. I can Um, A little earlier, you had mentioned that um, he has a great relationship with one of his um, children's mother and then the other one. So we kind of touched on this in our last episode where we were holding women accountable, saying that regardless of what your relationship is with a father, you should never hold that child hostage from the father because of any disagreements that you guys have. And I think it's the same thing with men because men, if they have... Um, you know, a bad relationship with their child's mother, then the relationship with the child, like that child suffers mm-hmm. and he's not as present with that child. Yeah. Yeah. I'm I'm very fortunate in that no matter how bad the relationship between she and I got, we uh went we went through a very hard uh mediation and walked out with a parenting agreement, a parental agreement. So there was never any uh, misunderstandings as to what either one of our responsibilities were. That right there, um, one, allowed clarity, and two, we knew the boundaries we were able to run in. So within the boundaries, hey, you be the parent. If Even if we lived together and we were still in a fruitful relationship, there would eventually be some parental conflict. But, you know, you got to have enough trust that that person loves your child as much as you do. Yeah. And, you know, I'm, I'm very fortunate and I'll take that to the heart, you know? 
So something that you you said, um, you mentioned that men seeking peace, like that's very important for man having that peace. But it's hard for me to kind of reconcile that because let's say if you a man has a bad relationship with the, the mother and it is drama, that they would let that affect them working hard to see their child. Like, I feel like... I think you um, your own question right there. Excuse me? I think you answered your own question right there. You said work hard to see their child. More labor. Working hard isn't necessarily peaceful. Right. But the, and that and my point is is that if there's any time that you're working hard, it should be for your child. Oh, and that's I, the part that I can't reconcile in my mind. It's that okay, yeah, I know it's drama and I know she's a pain in the ass, but um it's your child. So like, deal with it. That easy deal with it. And the like, child yeah. needs to see that. That okay, and and I speak from experience. My parents are divorced, and I lived through the petty battles when things were good. I got to see my dad when things were bad. I didn't get to see my dad, and because my mother would give drama, he that stopped him from putting forth the effort to see his children. And that's the part that I don't always understand. Like, okay, if there's anything that you're going to work for and suffer for, it should be for your children. Allow me to give the disclaimer now that I am not, I'm going to, I'm going to talk about some stuff, but I'm not giving anybody a pass. I'm, I'm, mm -hmm. I still hold all those brothers accountable the same, the same way I hold, I held myself accountable. Now, mind you, my ex-wife's a lawyer. So my divorce and the mediation wasn't necessarily, uh, how can I say, like, it was an uphill battle. I'm I'm coming ill-equipped. I, I brought a knife to a gunfight. <laughs> All I know is computers in the Bronx. You feel me? Like, so when you go up against a system that historically looks at black and brown men as absentee or the problem, whether it be through the divorce process, through uh, child support, alimony, and you're going up against this. It's not just him going against her. He's going up against the machine. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And the machine is really big and really intimidating and scary. Uh, women know how to uh, threaten and leverage it. Uh, you know, women know how to play a victim even if they're the uh, antagonizer. So when we look in the mirror and we're able to see past that initial reflection and into our flaws as a society, then we get to understand why men may not want to go up against it. Now, again, I know for my cipher and for my brothers, like I, I got a poem that I wrote in the, in the heat of battle. And in it, I said, if I don't fight for what's right, how can I teach my son what a man is? If I don't fight for my daughter, how can I ensure daddy's baby girl doesn't end up mommy's confidant and end up brainwashed and branded? And I say this not as an anecdote to sound funny, but sincerely, like I got a brother that's coming to Atlanta in the next several weeks to go try to find his junior yet again. His, son, his son's like 20 years old right now, flashing guns on internet, talking about, yo, when I see my dad, it's, it's on site. And the love for his son is still compelling him to try mm -hmm. to face that bullet, to face that gun. Mm -hmm. 
and these these armored this is a, a a byproduct of the brainwashing from his mother and his inability to be there or lack of willingness to be there mm-hmm. might be too late for him i'm not sure right but i know just as a friend i try to do what i could so i open up my house and try to facilitate that a uh, reunion be a mediator if possible but you know I think where you were talking from, Miss K, is that, you know, you saw it firsthand and how it affected you as the child. I'm seeing so much where it, how it affects the fathers based on, you know, I, I've seen dudes go to jail before. Mm-hmm. And then once they get that mar on their record, now it's harder for them to get a job because they were banging on the door hard and somehow that got flipped into assault. Yeah, and I've seen. I mean, my father and I, we have a relationship now, a pretty good relationship. Um, and I did see, and and that's I think why we we're able to have a relationship now is I did see him try to fight, you know, to see us and make effort. But I, but he could probably could have done more. But I see it a you know, and just men in general is like, you know, I don't even want to deal with it. Or the mother's this, and so I'm not... It's almost like they kind of write the children off sometimes because they don't want to deal with the drama of the mother. Even look at, let's say, 50 Cent and his son. You know, the the mother may have brainwashed the son, and 50 Cent just gave up on his son, just gave up. And he's like, that's not my son. He talks shit about his own child. And that's... that. I think there's a whole nother level of trauma with that dude, though. Like, you know? (laughs) I mean, yeah. I think everybody has... (laughs) unique uh story to them um but one of the things that i've that i've noticed as just assuming a leadership role in my community uh not due to the necessity and the lack of it being there and um there's a lot of trauma that men deal with and we don't have the support groups that you guys have there's no crucial conversations. It's entertainment and distractions. Yeah, Kevin Samuels. It's <laughs> oh no, <hell> no. <laughs> <laughs> well, my high value ass. <laughs> <laughs> but um, seriously, like I I I I thought about this, and I've uh, subscribed to a couple of uh, brotherhood um, organizations that are meant to try to quell that, like. They have, you know, I'm not going to go into what they have. I'm just going to say, I know for a fact that there's so much hurt out there in this world with very little empathy mm-hmm. that, and, and nobody, no peers to share it with, that when they look at that and they're like, yo, I could just reboot. This shorty over here is treating me good. You know, we could, I could, I could start anew because the first one was a, was, was a foul ball. I don't agree with it at all, but I witness it. You can understand and see both. And that's what I was going to say about the the story that you shared um, with your your man who's going to try to find his son, who's waving a gun around, talking about, you know, he has a bullet for his dad. Like, that's exactly what you're talking about. That's anger is literally just hurt whatever he's been fed and you know his mom has shared with him it's 
some kind of like that's how he's expressing um you know his heart being broken basically and not having all of the information so i love that you know your friend is at least making that effort to go down there and try it sounds dangerous but i think appealing you know to <laughs> that heart hey, he's gonna risk it so that hurt is is you know, is his chance and his hope to get him back because that's all that that is. Exactly what you were saying, Mario. Yeah, thank you. Um, I feel like we're coming to a reckoning in our culture, and it's twofold. I think the first reckoning is the celebration of women and their true capabilities without all the obstacles that traditionally have been placed before you guys, mm -hmm. and. and Direct on the other, the flip side of that coin is uh, classes of men realizing that, unbeknownst to us, we might have been the problem. Along with how do we redefine manhood and champion ourselves in the absence of that oppression? Mm. So, if you are so used to uh, being the man that brought home the bacon blue collar dude but you don't have that education and now you know wages have been flipped upside down are you the man of the house how do you hang your hat things of that nature so there's that i think that reckoning right now is i'm okay for it to happen in our generation as long as the children we're raising are healthy in that they don't their goal is to be uh uh, pairs for each other and not think that there's no need for codependency, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. I happen to agree with you on that mm -hmm. in terms of the reckoning and like everybody kind of understanding exactly what their roles are um, between men and women. Like a lot of that now, now that <clears throat> this whole equality um, and opportunities is being presented it is challenging and intimidating a lot of um, people's traditional views or what they thought or what they saw growing up or what they thought they, you know, they know a male or female role to be. And so that does definitely play into relationships, um, especially when you're parenting as well. Um, so um, I do have a question from your perspective, like a male's perspective. Do you think there is any circumstance that a... Um, that a father shouldn't be able to see their child or, or should be kept from their child besides besides them being a harm to their child? Is there any other circumstance that would qualify the father for not being able to uh, see their child? Um, as long as a father is free, meaning he is not in jail or um, doesn't have, you know, like let's say it's not doesn't have the military obligation to go and deploy, et cetera, you got to be there for your kids. Like, I can't tell you how many um, children I had to step in for and be a father figure. You know, even my own niece. You know, dad, if you, if you want to find an excuse, you'll find an excuse. I know that for a fact. Well, the and reason I was... Oh, so I'm sorry. Go ahead. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. Uh, a lot of these dudes do find their excuses. That's not. It's not manhood. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like 
there, there are virtues and principles you need to follow in order to be labeled a man. Just because you're a little older, you could drink and your balls drop, that ain't it, playboy. You have mm -hmm. to assume that role. There are virtues and ethics that, are, that accompany that. So when we talk about a father not being there for his child, first, if you've already resolved manhood, the second part about being a father is a no-brainer. So as long as you're not being a, a, a threat to that child's well-being, then physically, no. And then even mentally, you know, there's a lot of, like this shirt I'm wearing, masculinity is not a dirty word. There's a lot of people that say, oh, toxic masculinity and things of that nature, and they project their hurt onto all men behind that, right? So if I don't look at feminist, femininity is a dirty word, so masculinity can't be either. They all come with the label of womanhood and manhood. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? I'm just, I worry that single um, mothers and children with no fathers, they're searching. Like I know because I've been a boy, they're searching for something. And in the absence of that man, that coffer is getting filled up with something. Yeah, I agree. Mm -hmm. I think that um, women, I think society as a whole, not just women, need to value, and that's why I think this episode is so important, the value of fathers. I don't think, I think so many women think that I can raise my son and he doesn't need his dad or I can do just as good a mm -hmm. job as a dad. And we're not built that way. Like we <laughs> are nurturers and we, a, a, a boy needs more than nurturing. And so um, I guess my question to you is when it comes to co-parenting, parents who are not together and let's say the boy reaches puberty, my personal opinion is that the boy needs to go live with his father. Sorry, I just think so. I mean, at that age, yes, nurturing, what we do is a wonderful thing. It's so necessary. But there comes a time where that is not the primary parenting skills that a boy needs. I think a boy needs his father. And I don't know if enough women will, en enough women see that and see the value that a father brings, not just to little boys, but to little girls as well, but especially little boys. Um, and I think little boys will sometimes choose to be with their mother because it's comforting. You know, they're the nurturer, it's easier. And I think that that's also a problem because they don't want, the, the father tends to give that tough love and to toughen them up and show them what a man is like. And, um, and that's something that a mother I don't think, and, and there's many single moms who do the best they can and they do a good job. So I'm not taking away from that, but it's nothing like a father. I, I don't think there's, we cannot, and we shouldn't replace what a father brings to the table. I agree with you, Kay, but I, I respectfully disagree in that. Well, it depends on your agreement, right? So for me and my ex-wife, we live in close enough proximity that our schedule is two days on, two days off. And that goes into rotating weekends, mm. right? In that, in our agreement, there's no need for my son to live with me full time because I see the value in what she offers as well. 
Mm-hmm. You right. know? And sometimes what she offers is less about uh, child development or developing of a man, but it, like she's a she's real smart. She's academically intelligent. I'm not saying I'm not, but I'm not a math guy. And when he was having trouble in math, he needed that, right? And nor would I think that I shouldn't have my daughter in my house, according to our arrangement, when she hit puberty. Especially since they hit puberty way younger, right? So it, it's a, um, I think it's a fine line. Like, I think also, like, you kind of hit on one of those traditions. Oh, you got to go live with your dad because you're getting too big. And now you're starting to act up. I remember when I was 16, my mother's, my dad kept me off of the street violently. Like he was still snuffing me at 16 and 17 years old. Like a grown man, fine. But my mother was grabbing me and bringing me to a abortion rallies in DC from the Bronx and had a whole uh, uh, army of mothers that wanted to pour love into me to keep me off of the streets and stop doing all the knucklehead things that I was doing. Like there's so much value to be had on both sides that it's, if you know how to cooperate, mm-hmm. that is just part of the ideal situation. I totally yeah. agree. Yeah, and, and I'm not saying that a mother doesn't have a role. I'm just saying I feel like the prominent parental qualities should be, uh, for mostly a boy going, it should be his father. That's just what I think. Um, I think, um, um, and, and maybe I can ask you this, are there things that mothers do that are not necessarily beneficial to sons? Like, are we too yeah, accommodating and nurturing and babying them and all that stuff? <laughs> yeah, that's a good and question. I, and I'm not right, saying exactly. this as far as it pertains to my observation of my son, even though I see this in him, I know my mother's coddling of me did not equip me to go to school in the Bronx in public school. <laughs> like, it was bullies and ass whoopings and you know, you had to find out the way to navigate it. So I became a really good politician. I'm <laughs> smart and talented. And I and if you had an issue with me, I was going to win your heart over. Or <laughs> <laughs> well, a, a fist. But that only lasts for so long. So then there, there goes the ass whoopings. So um, <laughs> my father was the... Ex- it, 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 it's amazing, like, the polarity between the two. Because he's the exact opposite. I came home with a black guy after my first fight. He taught me seven ways to kill a man. I had to go outside with <laughs> a bowl of uh, pennies in my hand to make my, my, my fists heavier and have the fight again. Like, it was crazy. So, and, and she also <laughs> kept me away from sports that she deemed dangerous and things of that nature. But all of that, all the oh, things wow. that she tried to uh, protect me from, I tried to uh, overcompensate as I got older. So now I'm doing it anyway, but I'm not equipped with the base knowledge of how to maneuver playing football. So getting hit when you're 20 playing a football game is going to lay you out differently than if you got hit when you were eight. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? 
I am definitely that mom because I do not want my kids playing football because I think that it's too dangerous. But I have a continuation to that question. So um, we spoke on what a mother is, what a mother is doing that you feel that she shouldn't. What do you think are the most valuable lessons that a father can teach a child that a mother cannot? Um, how to how to understand not to take things personal in the world. Like, especially for a boy, honestly, for a boy or a girl, doesn't matter. <clears throat> Excuse me. For a boy, the minute you step out your door, unfortunately, you're, it, it, the, the, uh, the, the pressure, you feel like you're at war immediately. You pass by a brother that looks like you, he shares an ice grill instead of a smile or a hello. You pass by a female, she automatically thinks that it's, uh, you know, predatory. You pass by uh, police officers or anybody in an authoritative position, they judge your entire frame of break. And you have to understand how to navigate that in a safe manner and not take it personal. And not for nothing, like, uh, pardon me if I offend anybody, but I think women take things personal and they rely on logic after the hurt. Mm -hmm. I think men are, mm -hmm. try, I think men, as we as we deal with each other more so than women, like, if you got a man heart, though, he gonna, you gonna get the same exact shit from him. You know what I mean? But if, absent of love, a man will sit there and assess the situation in a more pragmatic point of view. Yeah. And, um, May make uh may be able to express his emotions, but he won't let his actions dictate it. Yeah, some of them. Some of some, are, but again, we got a qualified man. Right, right. <laughs> we can't, we, right. We can't right. be giving that title out to anybody. Listen <laughs> <laughs> to process for this shit. That's a good one though, um, because I think that you know, leading with logic and being pragmatic is, um, cause I, I've mentioned it before. That's my pet peeve, like emotional decision-making versus logical decision-making. And I, I agree. I think men do a much better job at that than women. So I want to quote your book again, since we're talking about the definition of a man. So you say being a father, I am the template of what a man should be and a frame of what love should look like to your children. What do you think defines a man and what do you teach your children that love should look like? Um, well, I'll start with what love looks like. I, it's sloppy. <laughs> love colors outside of the lines. If you think it's just like success. In our mind, we think love is gonna be this grand uh, Disney movie. We think success is gonna be a linear path. None of them are true. Love is gonna hurt as much as it's gonna be, is gonna feel empowering. And success is gonna come with failure. And it's through perseverance, through either or, that you reach what the goal is. Whether it be not just happiness in the day, but a state of joy. Mm, I like um, that. Oh shit, I got snaps. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
as far that, as what that manhood was poetic. is. That was dope. Man, I'm like, manhood is understanding how to assert power without being aggressive. Manhood is being able to uh, evolve with those that you're leading. Manhood is the acceptance of all responsibilities and payment of debts, and not just that of capital, I mean that of paying attention. So a child requires a lot of attention. So I pay you the proper respect because the return on my investment is going to be the love that you have towards your parent because I'm willing to sit there through every, but why, dad? But why, dad? But why, dad? Like, shut the fuck up, but fuck it, I answer. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like uh, manhood, it's, a, it's the virtue of presence and cognizance. So whatever you're, you are and are great at, as long as you're present and aware of the image you are projecting, that will be the leadership style that you show your parents, your kids. I read a, um, a, a quote recently that said, an escalated parent can never de-escalate an escalated child. And that hit me because mm. in my uh, red boiling Puerto Ricanness, sometimes I'm turned trying to explain something to him. To my son, mostly. My daughter, she's cool as a cucumber. And I realized it's not, it's never going to work. So I had to sit both of them down and apologize for my past behavior. And be like, listen, I'm trying to evolve the same way you guys are. So suck. Like, help me be a better dad. That's so dope. Mm -hmm. That is. That's beautiful. And I think there's so much respect that comes from that when parents are to acknowledge and admit their flaws and like, I'm working on this and you asking them to be a part of your evolution. Like that's, that's so needed in parenthood. Like I just know so many parents try to create this facade, like they have it all together. They have it all figured out and don't want to bring their kids in. These mama players are smart as hell and perceptive and we don't give them enough credit. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know what I mean, and so I think that is such um, a dope approach to parenting. Yeah, and that'll you lose credibility as a parent if yeah. a child can see that you're not being transparent with them. Mm -hmm. yeah. You'll lose all credibility with That's that child. And long yeah. before either one of us was mom or dad, we were all Dion, Joy, Shania, K. So well, all of those names come with whatever baggage we had coming up. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Once we got done this label of dad and mom, that didn't erase any hurt, any mistakes. The trauma, yeah, the trauma that the parents are trying mm -hmm. to deal with and go. Yeah. yeah. And when you think of like parents are just winging it, like yeah. no one has, is like a scholar <laughs> in parenting. Out. Like mm -hmm. you're all you just learn because especially even if you have multiple children, because each child is different, different. and so mm -hmm. you feel like you may have mastered one child, and then boom, you got a totally different child, and now you have to master that child, oh, and so that kid hits puberty, yeah, and you realize now they're a demon, and you're not the same <laughs> kid that you love. You know what I'm like I remember in the very first poem that oh, that in the book. 
in the youth chapter, uh, <laughs> oh, first smile, last breath. I say, I had no clue what I was doing, but you had no clue that I was only human. Everything I taught you, you thought that I was the best. Like, like these kids really think we're superheroes in the beginning. Yes. And then through our own, you know, human frailty and flaws, yeah. it's, it's a wide awakening. So the sooner you put them on, like, listen, let's do this together, y'all. It's a teamwork. Like, I, that's, that's the one thing I, like, I told you, my son's 13, now about to be 14. And I told him, I know at 15 is when I went off the deep end. I said, listen, my, me and my parents play cops and robbers. I don't want to have to do that with you. If you have questions, there's something you want to do, come to me. And if it's within reason, I could let you do it within the safe parameters. But mm -hmm. tell me what your goals are, more importantly, and I'll help you achieve those. But you're not going to just, like, if you want to try weed out one time, cool. But your goal ain't to be to smoke weed every day. No. Same and thing I think uh, with, with the video games and all that shit. Like, nah. What's your goal? Once we start getting them goal orientated, you know, give them little short ones. They achieve that, then they get that pride, and they feel like they can start taking on bigger tasks. That's my that's my goal. Mm -hmm. So, what that's advice important. would you give to mothers in raising, particularly sons? Uh, like, if you could tell mothers one thing. You're like, let their dad in their life. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know. That as well, you know, always have a, a, a fatherly figure uh, available. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And recognize a good guy, yo. I think a lot of times women project this, oh, I want X, Y, Z, but X, Y, Z don't look like the package that you mm -hmm. have in mind. Yeah. But don't fill out that whole checklist so you start to see the value in it. I think... Um, that said, as it pertains to the uh, fatherly figure, as it pertains directly to their son, um, give him, find a way for him to express himself. There is nothing worse than being, not being able to be a whole human being. Mm -hmm. So women believe that just because they allow their son to cry, that's just a form of frustration and ex being expressed through tears. You know, you could, if you could share laughter with somebody, you could share joy, find, an outlet for that boy. It don't matter, like, if it's sports, it's sports. If it's theater, if it's dancing, if it's whatever it is, don't suffocate him with your limitations on yourself. What if it's smoking weed and you just said that he can't smoke weed all day? Well, again... I'm joking. Everything, <laughs> everything my, I, I give you one. I, I, you ain't doing that shit every day. I don't do nothing every day. <laughs> yeah that's good that's um really good advice it really is thank you but you know what we talked about how ubiquitous trauma is and everybody's dealing with it so it's interesting that we you know have we expect parents to behave in a way when they're not doing the work on themselves first and i feel like these are good conversations to have and creating that awareness of you know, you know, how they should be managing relationships with their children. But I think step one, to be honest, is like working on healing themselves because mm -hmm. we're, we're asking them to do things like they don't even know how to do and regulating themselves and like, you know, regulating their emotions. And that's where we see 
this just generational cycle of not knowing how to express themselves, not knowing how to regulate their emotions, not knowing how to do A, B, and C because, you know, parents, we're adults, mm-hmm. <laughs> but still figuring it out. And I, that's what I see. And it's like, oh, oh so, so much of like an hour, like the, the adult trauma is tied back to our childhood and, mm-hmm. you know. I'm going to be honest with you, a lot of the um, lessons that the workbook compri- is comprised of, sitting there with a GSU staff and compiling this was almost like therapy for me because I always wondered how I, the questions I wanted to ask my parents that sometimes are still a mystery, even mm-hmm. after it's old. And then aside from that, I, I'm in therapy now. And I've taken questions and conversations that me and my therapist have had and brought brought it, I'm talking about worksheets. And I brought it right to the father-son workshop to let them know early how to have healthy communication. While I'm, while I'm learning it and while I'm going through my own uh, process of trying to figure it out, I was sharing it with them. You know, I, I have to learn real time. Mm. Yeah, definitely learn in real time. And I also think um, when it comes to parenting, we we get in this phase of just trying to be better parents, parents than our parents um, and trying not to make the same mistakes that caused us some trauma. But in that, I think that our generation is trying to are not even trying, but riding that fine line. I know I don't want to be anybody's friend, but where it's being a parent but then being a friend as well. So when we're talking about weed and everything, because we weren't able to ask our parents all of these different questions. And so now we're allowing our kids to express ourselves, but it comes to that fine line to where the questioning can become a little bit, not disrespectful, but just a little bit too much. So I think that for our generation, it's just making sure that we don't cross that path of being too friendly with our kids. Cause you do see that as well. Do you think that that's problematic? Like, what's the alternative? We, we're not friendly to our kids, so then they find friends that have no uh, perspective on the things they're going to participate in regardless. Mm-hmm. And now they're true. throwing it behind your back. Yeah, that's true. Especially with these this younger generation, which I think is different than all the generations, like our generation and generations before, is where they don't respect their elders. They don't, we used to look at people who were older than us and it's like, okay, I want to be like them when I grow up, but they look to one another. And so you have the blind leading the blind. And so you have this whole generation of young people following the lead or being influenced by other young people that probably have no guidance. And so I, and especially with social media, the influences are so mm-hmm. much mm-hmm. Um, greater. And it's hard for a parent to combat that because they have these, you know, mindless kids following other mindless kids. Yeah. And so, um, you know, kind of like this Shania's point about like generational differences, right? Um, a lot of times, you know, if you're lucky, like, like I know I'm what second generation American. So let's say generational wealth and education really started with my parents. 
You know, we don't have, I, I know, whereas our counterparts could go back much further. So we tend to overcompensate for whatever we were lacking. So if we didn't have uh, gear growing up, we shower the kids with clothes. If we didn't, like I got a friend that was homeless at one point, yo, he buys his kids everything and anything, robbing them of that need to hustle, that desire to innovate. And then when you, uh, here goes that, uh, what's gonna call it again? Here goes that overcompensation. We want yeah. the kids to be so safe that we don't let them out the house. Mm -hmm. So they dive even deeper into this digital world mm -hmm. that yeah. we cannot, no matter how many parental controls you put on your phone, you will not be able to moderate. Mm -hmm. When they could have been at swimming class or football practice or soccer or something else. It don't, it don't, you know, everything is going to come with its own bullshit because you're dealing with humans. But I'd rather be able to put a face to a name and understand who was the influence on my child than just say it was in Fortnite world. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I think that women, men do a much better job of letting children just, okay, go and experience. And I think as mothers, we are so afraid yeah, and very protective. Oh. And so I think that that's um, harmful and it's scary. And it, and I don't know if women should change because I do see the value in that. That's just how women are built. And that's why I think that's why both parents are so important. Let me ask you a question, Kay. You, you brought up an interesting point. All right. We, like women, let's just say these, there, there are women that um, are overprotective and coddle their sons. When your son goes to college, as the young woman you were once in college, would you be attracted to a young man that's that much of a mama's boy that doesn't know how to put <laughs> no. his shoulders no. back and chin up? No. And you know what? I don't think mothers think like that. I don't yeah. think we, you know, look at our sons and say, oh, yeah, the ladies are going to like him. I think that mothers are completely <laughs> fine if kids are square <laughs> as long as they're smart and they mm -hmm. you know are educated and so i don't think that that's something that women focus on that's okay. part of the value of having fathers there exactly fathers, yeah. <laughs> so, listen if you want to be desirable you could be a citizen of the world as long as you know how to hold your square down because he might go to college with a kid from bankhead and better believe that kid going to see him as food as a way to uh, uh, exploit him. Know, to and come yeah. on. It's, yeah. it, it's a world out here, boy. Yeah. That's <laughs> true. Yeah. yeah. We saw it on power. <laughs> oh, yeah, I guess, yeah. So I, I do have a question, right? I have a scenario. When I've all split about this scenario, so maybe you all can give me um, your opinion. So what if um, the child, uh, what if the parents are not healthy for each other? They cannot co-parent um, in a non-toxic way, um, whether it's verbal abuse, physical abuse, whether it's just, you know, how, how, 
like let's just and I'll and I'll go as far as using the scenario of um for the sake of this because I know like if the mother is toxic or plays her part in that then yes the father sh- you know should obviously fight as as hard as he can um what if it's an unfortunate situation where it's like say the father is um not healthy for the mother um like is abusive towards her physically or verbally maybe fine to the child but the mother so is there like can you separate that um like should you as the mother keep your child from that father because that father cannot be respectful towards you or cannot keep his hands off of you or cannot stop abusing you um especially if it's in front of the child i left my marriage because i saw it going that route mm. I was like, oh, no, there's too many curses flying uh, along with other nominal objects. You know what I'm saying? So Mm -hmm. once I saw it going down that road, I said, this pairing is unhealthy. And I'd rather the kids be raised in two households in which they're the apple of each other, of, of both of our eyes, than stay together for the sake of the children and create an environment of toxicity for them. Right. Yep. Um, oh, true. And I, I applaud you for that. Every every year around my birthday, I write a period piece to like kind of like put a flag in who I am and my evolution as a as a man. And in one of them, I wrote a poem called "Lie: Lesson in Everything." And I said, I found out the hard way that life takes its course, but I became such a better father after my divorce. I had to learn how to nurture a beautiful baby girl. Cries I could no longer ignore because when there's no one else around, it's on you to perform. And then communication between my ex-wife and I went from an all-out war to a civil discourse. You see, we realized once we packed up all of our personal shit and behaved as if we wanted what was best for the kids, that's when it finally stopped being about us and it became about them because love doesn't have to live in the same crib when you're able to use those beautiful children as the bridge. Mm. Yeah, that's so true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That is so dope. Love doesn't have to live in the same kid in, in, in the crib, whether it be the actual bassinet or the house. But yeah. Yeah. children can be a bridge to a level of respect and or love independent like when my ex-wife decides to find a husband i'm gonna embrace that brother you feel me like it's not competition for the kids like i'm that i'm i'm irreplaceable regardless right come in i win always i need help i need help out here shit is real yeah no that's dope and that mirrors um advice counsel or just when I'm stating my opinion, like I share the same sentiment. Um, I do not believe in, oh, we're gonna stay together for the kids. Like in many situations, that's probably the worst possible thing that you can do. And I'm a product of divorce. And mm-hmm. I was like, please, thank you for getting divorced. <laughs> you know, yeah. I use my, my personal story uh, as an example. Like. Again, going back to what I said earlier about children being so perceptive and being so smart, like, you're not fooling them. Like, staying together Mm -hmm. for what? Like, that environment of toxicity and 
it'll be a cold war in the house. You think they don't know nobody's speaking to each other and they're tense and, you know, it's just, it's not a good situation. Mm -hmm. So I applaud you for, you know, recognizing that and making that move because staying together for the kids is, it's not for the kids and it's not doing them, um, any justice. It's not giving them a benefit. Any at all. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Spec like for like being like, you know, being a child of divorce and in the book, I speak a lot about my household wasn't perfect, but it was loving. You know, I seen some bad years that my parents had, but I knew that they still loved each other by those little things that they did, right? I also remember getting phone calls from one of my boys, like, meet me on the roof or meet me in the basement, and I would have to sneak him into my house because his dad was horrible for his mother. And he would come with a black eye or his knuckles were bloody. I'm like, what happened? He was like, me and my brothers had to jump my dad and he's a black belt. So he whooped all of our asses. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, like, I remember those conversations. I remember seeing his brother withhold tears and didn't want to be himself in public anymore because he can't be vulnerable at all. And I think that I'm, I'm, I'm a thousand percent sure that should affect him till his day. Yeah. I don't see how there's any way it couldn't. Yeah. If only, I, I just think if only everybody who took on, you know, who produced a child understood their role and their importance, because it really does shape and form whoever your child is going to be as an adult, whether you're present or absent. So on the flip side of Dion, I am the product of the parents that stayed together that should not have. And so even when I look at how I maneuver through relationships, a lot of that I take from, you know, because I'm the one, I I refuse to stay with anybody if you do X, Y, and Z, because I saw what it did to my mom. Or so I don't have, I don't know, my limitations is, is super real, you know, in comparison to other people who, um, may have a little bit more patience and may be willing to counsel their way through certain things. I, I don't know. I just think too much. So very true. You definitely should not stay for kids whatsoever. Um, but point oh, go ahead. That goes to like Dion's point as far as working on yourself as much as you are to work on the children. Like if very you true. solve issues within yourself, mm-hmm. which in turn affects that relationship with your partner, like you have to be willing to seek counsel. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sorry, Shania, I didn't mean to interrupt. No, it's okay, Mario. <laughs> it's your show. <laughs> you too. Such a good conversation. <laughs> no, but it's true. You definitely should. But I have um before we end this, I wanted to ask you another thing because we said it a couple of times in this episode. So people are known for saying, um, you know, a child really needs their father, especially, and then you insert a gender. So for you, what do you think, because you have to pick one just for this episode, what gender do you feel really needs their father, a son or a daughter? Which Mm. one needs it more? Needs him more? Uh, That's... I can't answer that. That's a tough one. I'm about to say, I can't. I, 
I say it in the book. There's pride and joy. Nobody can make a man more proud than his namesake. This is it's impossible. It's your oh, I, I made sure the legacy sees another several generations, right? But then nobody makes you happier than baby girl. Like, like she's just perfect by default. She can learn to read at 20, and I'll be like, oh, she's a genius. <laughs> and I, and I'll add to that, Mario. I'll add to that. Like personally, I I learned how to be treated by men. Through my father, like I feel, my father yeah. prepared me for men. Yeah, like that's he, what I was about. To yeah, say. like my standard, what I would expect of a man, what I, you know, how to be treated by a man, what to expect. Like I truly, you know, my I I, I learned how to treat a man <laughs> how, for my mom by by yeah. way of example. I learned how to be treated by a man by my father. All right, so, well, I, it's so to Joy's point, like I think she brought up something really interesting. You know, my heart. And the protector in me wants to say my daughter, right? However, if I treat, if I teach my son how to be a man and how to tend to whomever, to not just any any person's body he comes across, but his own body and show the value of his body, then he won't be the predatory person spreading mm -hmm. himself very thin. Mm -hmm. recognize the value of what love looks like. You won't be that guy that you're trying to protect your daughter from. Exactly. Right. Mm -hmm. So you could either you could either uh, wear a mask to fight the quarantine, to fight uh, COVID, or the kid is the uh, the vaccination. The boy is the vaccination. <laughs> I agree. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And and with that question, that's why I think, I mean, again, it's important for both a daughter or a son, but I do think that it's very imperative for fathers to be in their son lives because in their son's lives, because it starts, it's the start of, you know, relationships and, you know, that bond between man and woman. Like if we have good sons out there, good fathers, I think it'll kind of heal some of the trauma or minimize some of the trauma that women feel because of bad fathers or not so great of men. How about this? You want to hear some real shit? This is your child holding up a mirror to you and checking you, right? Mm -hmm. um, in the workshop, we talked about mad things like, you know, preserving your body, recognizing what no means no when it comes to sexuality and how to process your hormones as they're raging. But in the manhood lesson, we talked about crying and being vulnerable. And I had, I was forced to realize I look at my life through different lenses than my son does. Because to my son, he's never really seen me cry when I know I have my moments all the time. So he confused my lesson saying, you are allowed to cry when your feelings are hurt and him, me saying, don't cry when he gets in trouble. He, 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 he confused them. Mm. So me trying to teach him, me trying to discipline him is a different hat than me comforting him. And being a, 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 a nurturer in my own right. So he told me one time, he was like, you know, I kind of think you're a hypocrite because you're talking and you, you wrote this book about 
all of these things, but you ain't do that. And I was like, well, what didn't I do? And he told me about the crying thing. And I told him, and then I was forced to look at myself. And I wrote a whole poem about all the reasons why I don't, I, I kind of like tucked away my tears. And he had to write a piece, an introduction, and ending so we could do it together to understand that, yo, we got to, again, we got to evolve as a family. So now you understand my perspective, and now I understand yours. So actually, recently, his uh, rest in peace, his grandmother passed away on his mother's side, and she lived with him. And he was holding it in. He had no real emotion. And I was confused. I'm like, damn, is, did the internet numb him? And then at wake, he let it out. And that was my opportunity to hold him and let him know it was okay to cry. Mm. So it'll, it'll come full circle. But first, you have to be transparent as a parent. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But... Shania has a two-tier rule. So. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. So there's a previous episode <laughs> where we kind of talked about masculinity and everything. And I, so I, I've never seen like, <laughs> a lot of men around me just cry, like break out and cry. Nor do I think that I wanted to. So it was a joke, Mario. And I said Thanks. that he only gets two years. <laughs> you can years. see the judgment in his face, He's right? so disappointed He's judging you. Like, oh, baby shower next time. Like a Puerto Rican baby shower. All of them be crying and, <laughs> and then we fight. <laughs> no, I don't mind if you cry, but... If you can like keep the tears like in a little bit, like like pulled up, <laughs> yeah, like just don't make your face. Your face. And you ain't gotta have... do ugly cries. What you're saying? Don't do right. the ugly cry. You cannot yeah, do that. Like, the, the ugly cry is kind of reserved for children and women. Like just, men, we just Mario, gotta... just do this. Go like this, <laughs> <laughs> and let it fall down. <laughs> I promise you, the next time I see you. I'm gonna for hard cry you on cry it. her a river. And not just cry, I'm a white snot right on your shoulder. You're not gonna do that. Oh He's so not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Caleb's snot. <laughs> he likes women's Oh gosh. So good. Before we let you go, because we've been talking a lot about your book, you wrote this amazing poem we called Son with no father. Please. I can't share. wait to order it. Me too. Okay, let's see. I want to see something. Shania was there almost at like the the the, the genesis of my poetry career. I won this um, talent show in Korea, and it gave me like the uh, confidence to keep going. And I always start my poems with the ayo. When I say ayo, what are y'all supposed to say back? All right. That's what I'm for. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> but I feel like you gotta like we might have got it if you would have said it like in a hip hop, you know, in yeah. environment. Yeah. Like, right. like when I say hey, yo, yo, it's all hip hop. Hip hop, there's no environment that I'm in that doesn't become hip hop. <laughs> <laughs> like, when I say hey, yo. <laughs> <laughs> 
we would have known. Before right. you start your poem, though, because I feel like I played a huge part in your poetry journey. Okay. Oh, taking credit. Okay. All right. <laughs> Does she got a uh, forward in your book? She I, I don't. I did. Thank you so much. But in the beginning of his poetic journey, Mario and I used to battle rap over email. <laughs> oh, hey, yo. No, let me try. Now, you can tell this story. This idiot dude, like, not her, but there's a dude that I love to death, but he's a fucking idiot. So that I'm going to make all of us lose our career. Yes. We, <laughs> we, used to, we used to battle on the internet, like, on the emails, like, cracking jokes on each other. And this dumbass printed it to, like, the first sergeant's computer. Commander oh, picked gosh. up. Off the and he read it, and he's like, what in God's name? <laughs> so all of us, there's, like, 30 of us on there, and we all had to get in trouble. What? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> so how long did y'all not talk to him? <laughs> oh, no, we, we drank that weekend. Yeah, we sure because, did. Like, like you said, like, sometimes you got to, like, Shame people in love. <laughs> Similar to like one of my boys, if he's not really handling his business, I'm not gonna just throw him away at first. I'm gonna yeah. shame him in love. Like, come on, I'm gonna take you out. Let's pass. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> like, get shit together. Nice. We did one of those. We really did. And yeah. then we drank. But <laughs> I love it. And then you fought. And then we fought, right? Exactly. Yeah. And you you held a purse. Yeah, right. he held my purse. And then we went to McDonald's. I remember that story as you're saying. I remember that story. Oh, like, there, there's literally footage because I know I've seen the footage and I'm literally sitting there and I'm walking with a diddy bop like I'm hard. You are. You are. <laughs> on my shoulder like, no, I got you, Sonata. Don't worry about it. Like, it's much. And then in the video, you see him giving me a pep talk. Like, he's always been the mature one out the crew. So he's like, man, Shania, come on. Like, you know better than that. I think, too, when you grow up with brothers, that's like, it's like, you just don't but know how I, to control it. Like, it was me, one other female, and Mario and a whole bunch of New York dudes, like, all the time. When I like had no choice. Up aggression, pent up aggression from middle school getting bullied. Yeah, you having her friends come jump her with hoodies on. <laughs> crazy fucking bitches. Like, I can't believe they did that. <laughs> oh, gosh. With the hoodie, though. What was the hoodie? Um, Dion, her and I, we've known each other since middle school. Oh, wow. So she came to my house after she watched Menace to Society with the hoodie on. Now, can you imagine her black hoodie on? And came to my house and was like, Yo, let's go. And I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> you don't believe. Now, do you <laughs> believe that, Mario? Absolutely <laughs> not, Miss Dion. Dara said, but you're my friend. <laughs> I was like, I was impressionable. They were going to fight me. It was me or you. Sorry. Literally. She said, I was impressionable. <laughs> I was impressionable. I was a follower. I'm sorry. Oh, my God. That's yes, friendship. Dion got like 30 years. I got like 20 years. I'm with this is these are long-standing friendships. They are. They are. This is so dope. 
It was a great Kay has never tried to fight me, but I've known her for probably like 20 years too. <laughs> and even Joy. Yeah, it's been yeah, like it's been 19 cool. for Joy. So yeah. we all are decades in. Mm-hmm. That's a beautiful thing. That, that's, that's real, that shows real uh, testimony to everybody's character and desire to evolve together. Yeah, yeah. yeah. we definitely that evolve together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And I think it speaks to um, kind of a common thread at different points in the uh, conversation today about um, just evolving and actually never mind y'all I'm a whole glass in I forgot what I was about to say <laughs> <laughs> it was sounding good like we I know I was like it came back to me really quick but we were talking about like evolution and relationships and I lost it again. Never mind. I'm gonna stop talking. <laughs> damn, damn memory. God, I'm gonna stop talking memory. again. The evolution in the relationships is my eyes have gotten lower me. and lower. <laughs> <laughs> oh, reflect relationships are reflections of ourselves. So we talked about like getting in a relationship with our partner, and like that's like a mirror to you, like one in selecting your partner about you and then how you engage with them. And you're just learning so much about yourself and that engagement. But I think the same holds true for your kids. Like you have these little people with their own personalities and they say some crazy shit. <laughs> and just like, you know, Mario, your son held you accountable. And I was like, yeah, you write, wrote this fire book, but nigga, that ain't You ain't do you none did. of that like, shit. <laughs> <laughs> I don't well, remember I, it that way. Right. <laughs> super dope how you know relationships no matter what the dynamic is um you know it's just a a kind of holds a mirror to yourself and at that point you have like this pivotal decision to to evolve and like take that information and each of these you know encounters and engagements and grow and and be a better person or you can say this you know i think uh, i think the 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 definition or, or, or a trait of a great relationship It'll keep you grounded without trying to hold you down. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Well, you've been dropping some gems on this. Yeah. I'm doing that shit. Yeah. <laughs> Look, I'm, I'm sending this episode to everybody. Right? <laughs> that real shit, though. Like, when you stay grounded, like, even when I saw Shania in the airport, like, a couple years ago. Oh, my God. Her silly ass was like, oh, I wanted to call you the. I, at first, her first thought was always the poet, not always Reyes. <laughs> oh, you're gonna get a joke with Naya. You know Naya that. You're gonna get a joke. You know, so I know, like, I know for a fact that there's certain friendships that I have throughout these years, and Shania is one of them. That we ain't gotta talk for five years. Once we see each other, oh, that's my sister. Like nothing happened. Like there's no time loss. We pick right back up. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. I was thick head all over again. Yeah, I want you to do better, but let me remind you, nigga, you held my purse, stupid. <laughs> <laughs> never forget never forget yeah. oh I love you awesome. yes the, the braids is down we ready let's We're let's ready. go should I dim the lights Ew. I a son with no father is a book with no author a main character that's been developed by his peers and his barber lost in the pages, wondering if his features reflect that of the artist, but he can't tell. 
because tears blurry his vision that chased his birthday cake. And he just needed to be watered. A son with no father is a plant with no light. A seed trying desperately to bud with all of its might. Hoping to bloom in spite of the gloom that he faces every night when he just needed you there, king, to read him a sweet lullaby. A son with no father is a player with no coach. A slave with no hope. A burning desire for freedom, but the longing for his daddy will only keep him dangling from that rope when he just needed you there to keep your promises. A son with no father is left with women that eat their young, forced to feed on that boy's masculinity until he fuck around and think he one of them. Lost in pop culture, trying to discover his identity with no place to learn it from when he just needed you there, King, to set the example. You see, he needed that balance. That boy deserves both of his parents. He did nothing to deserve being abandoned and would rather walk in his father's shadow. But in the man's absence, it's the little boy that has to be the one to cast it. His imagination holds the graphic of the perfect dad captured, a slave to an image that can never be mastered. There is no hand to craft it. There is no magic in rabbits. There is no one to show him how to hold the bat at baseball practice. Remember, keep your back elbow up and never take your eye off the ball. There's no one to show him how to throw his hands so he doesn't get his ass kicked. Remember, always keep your guard up. Tuck your chin, and you punch across the middle. There's no one to point out a good woman or the definition of what a good ass set is. Now, for this, my son, I would like to take a walk with you. <laughs> No one to share an adventure in all things that are man-ish. Mommy can try her very best, but she can't be all the things that a man is. Now, her role is just as important to provide him with balance and order, but as someone no father is haunted by the thoughts of being fostered, hoping that he could protect his future son and daughter from all of the lessons that your absence taught him. Have you ever tried to read a book that's missing an introduction? No preface to prepare that youngin' for what's coming. Yet, the numbing effects of your absence creates a heartless dummy that walks around town with that four pound and finds everything funny. Now, I don't think you do money because you fail to realize that a son with no father is much, much more than a book with no author or a boy with no dad. He is the immaculate conception. I said, I call that young man a young God. Cause you just that boy sperm donor. It's painfully obvious that you are no man. A son with no father is looking for the words to complete his story in the absence of its author. Thank you. <laughs> that was beautiful. Beautiful. Thank you. Definitely Lynn. have a way with words. Appreciate that. Y'all, am I a part of the crew now? Yeah, part of the crew. <laughs> uh, we will be inviting you back for many more. Yeah. I appreciate, it. appreciate it. Well, I hope I was able to answer all the questions that you guys had. All and more. It was a really good conversation. Really, um, yeah. and, and brought some things, you know, some things that even I need to think about. Um, it's really Definitely good. Thank you. Great time. Thank you guys for having me. 
Thank you for joining us. Appreciate it. So two fingers in the air, what we say? Peace. 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 <laughs> like, look, I'm failing all these tests. <laughs> that right. was so thought-provoking, and the energy was definitely um, a, a solid one. Um, Kay, what you got for us? Back in April, 16-year-old Micaiah Bryant was shot by police in front of her foster home during a brawl with other foster children over something as benign as a dirty house. As more details around the cause of the brawl unfold, it made something really clear. The foster care system continues to fail Black children. Foster care children are often neglected, abused, or live in harmful conditions. Sexual abuse for foster children are four times higher than for children in the general population, and group homes are even worse, as the rates are 28 times Times higher. Abuse, of course, hurts all children, but it's particularly hurting Black children because Black children are overrepresented in the foster care system. Black children make up 23% of the kids in foster care nationally, but only 14% of the entire population. The system often rips Black families apart without giving parents the resources and tools they need to have a chance at raising their own children. These children are oftentimes unprepared for the world and likely to repeat the cycles of trauma and dysfunction in their own families as an adult, continuing the hurt many Black families experience. In Micaiah's case, she was removed from her biological mother's home after reports of abuse. Her and her siblings were sent to stay with their grandmother. They were later taken from the grandmother due to some administrative compliance issues, which then separated Micaiah from her siblings. The system didn't work to remedy the situation with the grandmother, increasing the children's chances of being in a traumatizing situation. The system should work harder to keep families together, not add more stress and trauma to children. Before her death, Micaiah had expressed a desire to move back home with her mother, and studies have shown that preserving families, helping them stay together, have a better record with safety than foster care. You can't help but think that Micaiah's life would have been different if the system had gotten the mother help or worked to keep her and her siblings together with their grandmother. One thing I do want to make clear, while Black children are disproportionately represented in the foster care system, it's not directly due to racism. There's no neo-Nazi in the background with his MAGA hat intentionally tearing apart Black families. Actually, it's been found that poverty and socioeconomic conditions are actually the strongest predictors. Since Black children are more exposed to the welfare system, they are more exposed to caseworkers or social workers who have to report suspicions of abuse. What's even more interesting is that researchers actually found that Black caseworkers tended to assess all families, regardless of race, at higher risk levels than white caseworkers. Since Black families are more likely to be assigned to a Black caseworker, they may have an increased likelihood of a substantiated case of maltreatment, which could be a factor as to why more Black children are in the foster care system. Another major issue is the vetting and preparation of foster families. While there are many loving foster parents who are sacrificing and caring for children coming from all kinds of traumatic situations, and I don't want to downplay their love and generosity, the problem is that there are enough bad foster families and the states do not have systems in place to identify those bad foster families. A study was done of New Jersey foster homes and they found, and I quote, a lack of anything approaching reasonable professional judgment and no assurances can be given that any New Jersey foster child is safe. Where was Child Protective Services in monitoring Micaiah's foster home, making sure it was a safe placement for her? Did they just take her out of one traumatic situation and put her into another? So what can we do? 
Educate yourself and contact your local politicians demanding they support and fund social services like directing funding toward helping parents and supporting kinship care so children aren't placed in unfamiliar settings with strangers, which, as we know, can be very traumatic. Supporting services that promote families such as family strengthening, parental education and counseling, and substance abuse services for parents. Hiring more family preservation workers because they are more trained than Child Protective Services at identifying if a family actually can be preserved then child protective workers can focus more on placing children who actually need to be removed from the home and placed into good foster care. Helping change conditions to prevent abuse and neglect before they occur through child welfare agencies, implementing preventive measures, building family support, and offering services to vulnerable families. Providing for better screening, training, and monitoring of foster families. And lastly, since poverty usually is a predictor, supporting other programs like housing and employment that are designed to reduce poverty and crime rates in poor communities. So ladies, while black children are still disproportionately represented in the foster care system, it's slowly declining and white children in the system are rising, which is said to be because of the opioid epidemic. Do you think the shift in demographics will be the push we need to get real reform? I do. I hate to say it, but yes. Right. Because yes. it seems when it's when it's on us, it doesn't have the same level of importance as it would. Unfortunately, it's the unfortunate Unfortunately, truth. I 100% agree. Like it doesn't become a real issue until it creeps into the white community. And the opioid epidemic isn't just ah, lower income or socioeconomic status white community. Like it's starting to affect you know, the yeah. upper echelon of, of the white community or middle class, upper middle class, upper class. Um, so that's why I think, I think if it was, you know, we, we are transparent here. If it was more trailer park communities and stuff like that, like, you know, maybe not as much because I think um, although black folks do get the shorter end of the stick, I think just poor people in general do. But since the opioid um, epidemic really, you know, transcends all of those different levels um, and it's in the white community, then yes, absolutely. All right, ladies. Well, I, for one, loved this conversation with Mario, a.k.a. Papi mm -hmm. Picasso. And I, as soon as we um, get done, I am going to order his book. Um, I can't wait to see, you know, more of what he has to say. He just has such interesting uh, concepts. So I was definitely by this conversation. I think it's a super important one. Loved all of the perspectives that, you know, we shared with each other. It's always such a great conversation with you ladies. Um, and Kay, thanks for, you know, keeping us focused on uh, Makaya and, uh, you know, just everything going on with the foster care system. So um, our viewers, our listeners, thank you so much again for joining us. Uh, hope you loved this episode. Like, comment, share. Um, follow us if you're not already on YouTube and IG at Crucial Conversations, that's C-R-E-W. And we will see you next time. And all these things again. Bye. Thanks. Bye. Bye.